I want you to turn with me to the book of Mark, chapter 3 and verse 35. Mark chapter 3 and verse 35. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. So as Jesus was teaching the word one day, his mother and brothers came to the meeting place, but they could not enter in because of the crowd. So they sent word that they wanted to meet Jesus and talk with him. In fact, in Mark chapter 3, verse 21, it tells us actually they intended to apprehend him, probably to take him back to Nazareth because they thought he was insane. They thought he had lost his mind. But Jesus did not interrupt his preaching. I don't like to be interrupted either. Jesus did not interrupt his preaching or stop his ministry to go outside and confer with his family. He did not need their permission to do the will of God. And you don't need anybody's permission to obey God either because God is God. Hallelujah. So instead, he asked a rhetorical question. He turned to the people nearby and he said, who is my mother? Who are my brothers? Who are my sisters? And then he answered his own question in verse 34. I'll read the Passion Translation. Then looking into the eyes of those who were sitting in a circle around him, he said, here are my true family members. So that's interesting. Jesus had a closer bond with his spiritual family than his natural one. So faith connections were more important to him than flesh connections. So if you want to be more like Jesus, you're going to have to think more like him. And it's obvious that he thinks differently than you do. And if you and him think differently, don't wait on him to change. He's waiting on you. Isn't that right? Praise the Lord. So in essence, you know, in so many words, Jesus said to his mother and brothers, if you are not going to listen to my father, I am not going to listen to you. Now, he continued to love his family. Don't, don't misunderstand me. He didn't discard them. He didn't reject them. He cared for them. In fact, while dying on the cross, if you can imagine this, while dying on the cross in tremendous, uh, inexpressible agony, he made it a point to make sure that his mother was cared for. He turned to his disciple John and said, John, from now on, this is your mother. And the Bible says that from that moment onward, she stayed with him. He took care of her, right? So he certainly loved them. But he would not step out of the will of God to please someone who was out of the will of God. There's a lot we can learn from the word. Today I want to talk to you about the will of God. And Lord willing, we'll continue in the weeks to come. I feel this in my heart. 
We want to talk about God's will, God's way, and God's word. Because God's will must be done God's way according to his word. In other words, in this life, it should be our chief preoccupation, our chief pursuit to do the will of God. But we can do the right thing the wrong way. So we need to do it not the way we want to do it, but the way that he wants it done. How do we know the will of God? How do we know how to serve the Lord? How do we know how to follow him? According to his word and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Now let's look at another scripture. Are you still here today? I think you're processing this, right? Some of you, your, your computer just crashed, but and get reboot. Now turn with me to Luke chapter 11 and verse 27. It's very interesting. As he said these things, a woman in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, blessed is the womb that bore you and the breasts at which you nursed. It's interesting that someone would say that, right? Basically, this woman heard him preach and said, blessed is your mother. That's, that's basically what she said. You know, it's interesting, for centuries, I mean, you could go back, you know, 2,000 years, for centuries, a, a huge section of Christendom has deified Mary. They've tried to turn her into a goddess. They make statues of her. They pray to her. When they're in trouble, they call on her name. And notice, that was verse 27. Notice verse 28, how Jesus responded to the woman who made that statement. He didn't say, yes, verily, verily, truly, truly, that's right. From now on, she will be called the mother of God. And if you need anything, and perhaps I'm too busy, you can just ask my mother. That's nonsense. It's worse than nonsense. It's blasphemy. Notice what he said in verse 28. But he said, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Ooh. The Amplified Bible, the New American Standard Bible, the World English Bible, Munz's translation, many, many other translations say this in verse 28. On the contrary... He said to them, he said to her, on the contrary. You know what that means? Contrary means opposite. Right? So he said to her, basically, you're wrong. You're wrong. It's just the opposite. Those who hear the word of God and practice it, those are the ones who are blessed. Hallelujah. Let me just go a little further. Some of you are mad. Let's make you a little matter. Mary was an ordinary woman. She was not a super saint. And she certainly is not a savior. Read the Bible. Get rid of all the phony, religious, man-made tradition and go back to the source. Go back to the scriptures. But... I'm not, speak, I'm not speaking disparagingly of her, but she believed the message 
of God that was sent to her by an angel. And that's why God used this ordinary woman in an extraordinary way. Hallelujah. And while we're on the subject, not only Catholics, I mean, some of you are kind of, you know, sitting there smug. Not only Catholics, even charismatics, even word of faith people tend to make idols out of humble servants of God. We see a man or woman of God, you know, in the present or in history, and we admire them, we appreciate them, so we put them on a pedestal. We build an imaginary statue to them. And we say things like, well, you know, Brother Zama Zama, Sister Doohickey, oh, you know. Well, God just especially liked her, not like the rest of us. He just especially liked her. And, and no one will ever be like that. There'll never be another one like that. Hmm? Well, that's not the attitude that we should have. And that's not the attitude that Jesus has. Really, every life is unique. And we can appreciate, certainly we can appreciate the faithfulness and the obedience of people who serve the Lord but according to Jesus, if you know the word of God and you practice it, you are blessed. Hallelujah. 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 And the word of God, of course, reveals to us the will of God. So if you know his will and you do it, you'll be just as blessed as Mary God can use you in just in amazing ways as he did her or anyone else in the body of Christ. God doesn't care where you came from. He's not concerned about your tribe. He didn't ask about your ethnicity or your color or your place in society. He's looking for someone who will hear the will of God and do it. Is that person here this morning? I said, is that person here this morning? Hallelujah. Matthew, come on, let's go another way, another verse. Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. Matthew 7, 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Hmm. Wait a minute, Brother John. Doesn't Romans chapter 10 verse 9 say if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, you know, you will be saved? Doesn't, doesn't Romans 10 9 say that? Yes, it does. Yes, it does. But mouthing empty words saves no one. Reciting a religious creed or some kind of incantation does not wash away our sins. We receive new life, eternal life, because we make Jesus the Lord of our lives. If he is Lord, he is master and supreme in authority. And by submitting to him and doing his will, we prove that he is our Lord. So what does that mean? God's not interested in just empty cliches. 
no matter how scriptural they sound. He wants to see the action. Can I get an amen? Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Now, wait a minute. Does, does, that mean, does that mean that we're saved by our works? No. No, 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 no. Not at all. We are saved because of God's grace, his unmerited, undeserved favor, his extreme kindness to us, and because of our faith, because we believe. In John chapter 6, verse 29, Jesus told the folks there, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. In other words, what is the work? What is it that God requires of me? We could say this, what is the will of God? Well, here's the first and foremost thing, that you believe in Jesus. And that's how you're saved. But believing in Jesus, this is very important, believing in Jesus does not mean redefining him to suit yourself. When you receive Jesus, he changes you. He's not asking you to change him. See, some people say things like this. Well, you know, I want a Jesus who will meet all of my needs and solve all of my problems and who otherwise will leave me alone and not interfere in my life. That's not Jesus. Actually, that's idolatry. That is you making a God in your own image. Jesus is who he is, not who you want him to be. Come on. God is asking you to believe the Bible, not rewrite the Bible. So when you get him, you get who he is, all of him or none of him. Come on. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Jesus is not a repairman that you call when something in your life is broken and needs to be fixed. He's your Lord. He owns you because he purchased you with his blood. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Hallelujah. If Jesus is not Lord to you, he is nothing to you. It's yes, he's Lord, or it's no, he's not. There's no third choice. Someone says, well, I don't want anybody owning me. I own my own life. I'm the captain of my soul. Jesus said, if you try to keep your own life, you're going to lose it. But if you give it up for my sake, then you'll find it. Whatever you hold on for yourself, you're going to lose that. It's going to be gone. Eventually, it's going to be gone. Whatever you give to him, you're going to keep it forever. The only thing you really own is what you give to him forever. Hallelujah. Let's look again. First John chapter 5, verse 3. First epistle of John chapter 5, verse 3. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. Now, this verse, is, this verse is telling us this is the love of God, but actually it would be better to translate this 
is what the love for God is. He's not talking about a kind of love that God's poured into us. That's certainly a, a true statement, but, but he's not talking about that. He's, he's really saying this is what it means to love God. You obey him. I mean, it's, it's just real convenient to sing songs, isn't it? Love you, Lord. I love you. I love you. I love you. I know, Lord, you know I love you. It's easy to say that. Lord, you know that I love you. I love Jesus. Yes, I do. I love Jesus. How about you? It's just real easy to say that. But Jesus, John, really, through this, by the Spirit of God, didn't say, this is what it means to love God, that you sing about it. That you talk about it. This is that you obey him. Hallelujah. What does that smell? That's somebody's flesh burning. <laughs> the will of God is not optional. God rarely, if ever, gives suggestions. This is for your kind consideration. Hmm, maybe, maybe not. That's very rare, if ever. He gives commands. The Bible doesn't say, and this is my suggestion that you love one another. He didn't say that. He said, this is my commandment. See, see something about you just kind of goes, <coughs> commandment. <coughs> Wait a minute, I thought he was your Lord. Oh, yes, I love you, I love you. <coughs> You're lying through your teeth and everybody knows it. You're a lying dog. It's proven by obedience. The measure of your obedience is the measure of your love. It's real quiet in this. I don't even know what kind of church this is anymore. Some people went to the join class and they said, I thought this was a Presbyterian church because Pastor John always said, no, I'm just, I'm just joking. I'm just being sarcastic. I'm sorry, I should clarify that. Hallelujah. Some of you look like Presbyterians. The will of God is not optional. But I want to say this, it's also not burdensome. See, he said that, it's, it's not burdensome. In other words, it's not this impossible heavy load that's going to just crush you and destroy you and something you could never do. No, no, no. By the grace of God, with his help, by the strength that he, he not only, if God tells you to do something, he also furnishes the ability to do it. Hallelujah. Now let's look at another scripture. We're talking about the will of God. If you haven't caught that by now, the, the will of God. Hebrews chapter 8, verse 8 and 10. It's actually, you know, of course, in the New Testament, but he's, he's quoting from uh, uh, Old Testament. He's quoting from the book of Jeremiah, but I'm going to read it here. Hebrews chapter 8, verse 8, and then we'll skip to verse 10. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord. When I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. He went on to say in verse 10, this is the covenant that I'll make with them after those days. I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts. Here's something you need to comprehend. You need to grasp. Nature is stronger than precept. Nature. Nature is stronger than law. 
God gave the Israelites the law of Moses on Mount Sinai. It was a written code that clearly indicated right from wrong. It showed them how God wanted them to live. So it was his will. It was his will, you see. And the law also included a system of reward and punishment. It was built into it. So if they obeyed God's commands, they would be, he said, you'll be blessed. That means good things will happen to you. You'll be happy with the results. But if they disobeyed, they would be cursed, and that means bad things would happen to them. See? But, and this is really the lesson of the Old Testament, but in spite of the fact that it was a divine revelation, in fact, you know, God in his glory came down on Mount Sinai. They heard a voice, you know, booming. Despite the fact that it was a revelation from God, and regardless of the consequences, the Israelites continually disobeyed God. In fact, right there at the base of the mountain, while Moses is up there talking to him, somebody had a bright idea, let's worship a golden calf. <laughs> See? Why? I mean, they know. They already know this is God's will. They already know, he's told them, these, this will be the consequences if you don't do my will. Now, here, here's what will happen if you do my will. But they continually chose to do wrong. Why? Because of their nature. They were spiritually dead. They were sons of Adam. They had a covenant with God. They had an agreement. They had a contract. They had an arrangement. And God honored that. But their inward condition, they were separated from God. Sinfulness, wrongdoing was their nature, their spiritual nature. And nature is stronger than law. The unrighteous tendencies in them was stronger than God's righteous decrees. And by the way, that's why even today in this country and in America especially, I'm thinking we have more laws now than ever before. Parliament, you know, Congress, you know, whatever country you're from, they, they're writing more laws today than, than any generation before us. And we have more lawlessness today than any generation before us. Why? Because nature is stronger than law. Are you listening to me? So the old covenant in itself, I have to be careful how I say this, but the old covenant in itself failed. Actually, its true purpose was to prepare the people for a new covenant. That was the real purpose of the old covenant, just to set the stage, to get everybody ready for the new covenant. And the, under the old covenant, God inscribed his law. He chiseled it in stone. Why that? To show its permanence. Notice he didn't write it with a pencil. You know, later on, let me take the rubber, the eraser, and change that last one. No, 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 it's permanent. It's permanent, you see. But in the new covenant, we just read it from Hebrews. In the new covenant, he said, I'm going to write my law on their hearts. That sounds nice, but what does that mean? Does that mean that when you get saved, 
You know, God says, okay, can you please unbutton the first button on your shirt and I've got a gel pin here. No, no. <laughs> no, what it means is this. What it means is he's going he's gonna to change our inward nature. That's what he really means. He's going to change that sinful nature. And, and, and coming to Christ doesn't just give you a, a, a minor alteration. Like you go to the tailor and say, these pants are too long. Okay, I'll take it up an inch. God didn't, God's not a tailor. He didn't just like, you know, kind of make a slight adjustment. He remade you. A new creation in something that never existed before. He reversed it. The person you were, you're not that person anymore. The things you once loved, you now hate. The things you once hated, you now love. He did a complete flip on you. Hallelujah. So the born again person has God's nature in him, in his spirit. So doing the will of God comes naturally for him. I'm talking about a born again Christian. Doing the will of God comes naturally. Because he has a new nature. I'm talking about in his spirit. See, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, we read, For we are his workmanship, God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. We were handmade to please him. You didn't get saved, and then God said, I'm going to make this one a rascal. No, no, you have his law written in your heart. He put his righteous nature in you. He put his will in you. It is your natural, normal inclination to do his will. We were built to do good works. We were built to do the will of God. So... We should not have to beg the born-again person to come to church. The staff shouldn't have to call them a hundred times. Please, we'll take you out to lunch. They shouldn't have to do that. Because the man who has eternal life has an inward yearning for fellowship with the family of God. It's there. It's there. You don't have to preach for hours and hours on giving to convince a child of God. Generosity is his spiritual DNA. God's nature is not stinginess. Thank God. Amen? So the born-again man, his natural tendency in his heart is to live to give. Live to give. That's why some people, you know, before they knew the Lord, I mean really saved, they were so stingy, so tight, you know, and they squeaked when they walked, you know, I mean, they just, just like, you know, squeeze every pie, you know, like they're going to get blood out of a turnip. I mean, just, just you know, and, and you know, and, and, and just argue and fuss with every auto rickshaw driver and, and negotiate with the poor fellow selling tomatoes. I mean, just, you know, just super, super tight. Then they get saved, and they say, we're going to give one lakh in the offering. And their husband passes out. You know, he just he collapses. He can't believe it. He doesn't know what happened to his wife. See, that, that's the change. 
And I'm not, I'm not saying that for psychological reasons. I'm not trying to, you know, mess with you or something. I'm just saying that's how it is. You don't have to plead with a new creation in Christ to read the Bible. He can no more keep away from the word than a hungry man can keep away from food. He can't help it. God wrote his laws on that man's heart. We all know what it's like when you're hungry. Some of you look hungry now. I don't know. I'm getting a little nervous. <laughs> right? I know what it's like when I'm hungry. My wife will testify, but not today, that, that I'm not the most pleasant person to be around when I'm really hungry. How many of you wives are married to someone just like me? <laughs> right? You know, when you're really hungry, you, know, you, you don't have trouble thinking about food. You even, you got your moistened nose in the air. <laughs> I think my neighbor's cooking something. <laughs> you know. And when I get hungry, I start walking around the kitchen a little bit, making little trips in the kitchen. You know. <laughs> I'm still here. I don't know if you forgot about me, but I'm here. <laughs> right? Right? My wife, I don't think ever, has to preach a sermon about eating when she serves my lunch. She preaches a sermon about eating too much, but she never preaches a sermon about eating. Here it is. If she was to give me a lecture, I, I wouldn't hear her. I'd be too busy chewing. <laughs> but see, the born-again man, he has a hunger, a new hunger for the nourishment that comes from God's word. And so that's why, that's why some Christians are always kind of irritable. It looks like they have irritable bowel syndrome, but it's actually their heart because they haven't been fed the word of God in so long. That's why there's some angry people in the church. If we feed them, they'll, they'll brighten up. They'll get happy again. If you're pastoring, feed your people well. That's an easier church to lead. Hallelujah. The man with eternal life spontaneously witnesses for the Lord. He wants to tell everybody. You notice when people first get saved especially, they want to tell the, the, the guy at the petrol pump, do you know Jesus? I know Jesus. Do you know Jesus? You know, they want to, they'll witness to cats and dogs. They'll talk to anybody about the Lord. Why? Because that's their nature. That's their nature. But if it's our nature to do God's will, why are so many Christians out of God's will? Can you think of anybody that you know that's out of the will of God? Just want to raise your hand? That'll work too. <laughs> why is that? Well, it's not because the new birth is a failure. Here's why. Romans 8.4. Romans 8.4. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. Who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. God did not write his laws on your body. Your flesh is not a new creation. 
Your body did not get born again. It's not like, you know, I used to have brown hair and I prayed and received Jesus, now I got red hair. Unless you go buy some coloring in the shop, it's gonna be brown. You, know, you, have the, you got the same outward man. He changed the inward man. So if you live by the dictates of your, the human nature in your flesh, you will never be in the will of God. I don't care how many scripture verses you know. I don't care if you know it in Greek and Hebrew. I don't care if you teach it in seminary. If you live according to the dictates of the natural human nature in your flesh, you are never going to be in the will of God. You will miss God's plan for your life the whole time you're here. So you won't be blessed. And your life will be a mess. Hallelujah. The God's Word translation says this. Who do not live by our corrupt nature but by our spiritual nature. So it's very simple, to do the will of God. You might think I gotta get a piece of paper, a legal pad, and start writing all the things I gotta do. I gotta, write, I gotta make a huge list of everything I'm supposed to do. No, 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 here's what you do. Let the inward man rule over your outward man. And then you'll, you'll do it naturally. Let your inward man your spirit, and of course that is where the Holy Spirit resides, let your spirit rule over the outward man. But for most Christians, it's the opposite. You wake up, you know, early in the morning, and your heart says, let's pray. And your flesh says, I don't wanna do that. I'm tired. Pray about what? What pray? Why do I need to pray, 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 pray? I prayed on Sunday, that's enough. And your spirit says, oh, okay. But when you grow up spiritually, when you're nourished in the word of God, when you mature, when you develop, you wake up and your flesh says, I don't wanna pray. I don't wanna go to church. And your spirit says, pop, shut up. We're going. Okay. <laughs> Come on, you gotta control your flesh. If you don't control your flesh, I promise you, your flesh will control you. And your flesh will take you someplace you don't wanna go. Oh, Lord, I'm praying for blessings. I'm praying for prosperity as your flesh just takes you right over the cliff. Boom. And as you go down, we'll hear, pray for me. Uh-uh, doesn't work that way. Hallelujah. Some Christians, I'm not trying to pick on anybody, but, you know, we're talking about the will of God. Some Christians say, I don't have to go to church. God is here in my bedroom. <laughs> Sounds nice. Sounds even spiritual. That's flesh talking. How do you know? Well, how about Hebrews 10.25? This is the God words, God's word translation. Hebrews 10.25. We should not stop gathering together with other believers as some of you as some of you are doing. Instead, we must continue to encourage each other even more as we see the day of the Lord coming. See, that verse, that's God's talking. That's God talking. That's God's will. Hallelujah. 
So this verse says, as we see the signs of the times, the day in which, which we are living, we should not go to church less. We should go to church more. Well, I don't feel like going. Nobody asked you how you felt. Hallelujah. Why? Because if we do not continually exhort one another, encourage one another, inspire one another with the word, we're going to slip into unbelief and hardness of heart. Some Christians say, of course, they're not here today, but you know them. Some Christians say, well, God doesn't expect me to forgive every time. Some things are just too big to let go of. That's flesh talking. That's flesh talking. Well, how do you know? This is how I know. Ephesians 4, verse 32, in the Passion Translation, but instead be kind and affectionate toward one another. Has God graciously forgiven you? Then graciously forgive one another in the depths of Christ's love. How about the message translation? Forgive one another quickly and thoroughly as God and Christ forgave you. See, some people, they forgive partially and it takes a long time. Three years later, they're still thinking about it. That's flesh talking. That's a flesh-ruled life. That's someone who's out of the will of God. And you can look at some other Christian who's smoking or drinking and point your long finger and go... But if you have unforgiveness in your heart, go ahead and stand next to them and we'll all go. Because <laughs> you're just as wrong. You're just as wrong. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. God's will for you is better than your will for you. You, you say you trust the Lord. But do you? Do you really believe that he knows more than you? Do you really believe that he loves you? Well, then, if you do, doing his will should be a lot easier. When you say, oh, I don't want to do that, I don't want to do that, you really don't believe. You think, oh. some people say, oh, you can't trust God too much. You can trust him a little bit. You get too close to God and you'll send you to Africa. Be careful. <laughs> Being in the will, maybe Nagaland. Being in the will of God. Being in the will of God is not always easy. But it's always better. It's always better. Hallelujah. Let's look at maybe one more scripture, maybe one or two real quickly. Notice this, Proverbs 19 and verse 21. Many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. The word purpose can also mean counsel or plan. Well, some translations say it says plan. Some translations say purpose or counsel. There is, this is what I want to tell you. There's something that's bigger than your dreams. 
There's something that's better than your goals. There's something that will outlast every idea in your mind. It's the will of God. It's the will of God. The New International Reader's Version says this, but the Lord's purpose wins out in the end. And that means maybe at the beginning it looks like God's wrong and I'm right. I knew I was right. I did what I wanted to do and everything's just working out right. Look, if I had done that, ah, oh, you know, I would've been so sad, so bored, you know. Uh, but in the end, you're going to find out I was wrong. And I was really wrong. I was flying high for a little while and then I crashed and I burned. The will of God is not always easy. But it's always better. It's always better. If God asks you to do something, it's not because he hates you. It's because he loves you. He's trying to help you. He's trying to bless you. How many of us have prayed, oh, Lord, bless me. Bless me, Lord. Come on, bless me. I need some major prosperity now. And then God starts talking to you about forgiveness and giving and serving. You're like, you misunderstood me. I, I, that, that's not what I said, God. But, but see, he's answering your prayer. See you, think, see, you have a right to ask God. You don't have a right to tell God how to answer. No, God, I just want bundles to come down from the sky. No, no, no. no I'm going to do it my He's going to say, I'm going to do it my way, not your way. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Now, the more closely... This is an important statement. The more closely you align yourself with the will of God, the will of God for your life, the more grace is available for you. The more closely you align yourself with God's will, the more grace, the more of his power begins to flow in your life. See, because it's easy. You might sit there kind of, you know, kind of happy and self-satisfied and think, well, you know, I mean, you know, I don't drink, I don't smoke, you know, and I, I go to church, here, I'm here, I'm here, I'm here, here, and you know, and you know, I tithe and I give and everything like that. But that, that. Praise God, that's all fine and well, but that's not the end of the story. The Bible is a book of books, it's not a tract. Some people have this short list of three or four things, that's the will of God. Uh-uh, uh-uh. God has something to say about every facet of your life. If you, if you care about it, he cares about it. He has something to say about your attitude. Don't get me started. He has something to say about your words. He has something to say about your thoughts. He has something to say about how you treat people, even people that you think are not important. Even people that you think can't do anything for me. Isn't it amazing when we want something from somebody, how nice we are? You go into the bank manager's office, get a loan, and suddenly you're dressed so nice and talk so sweet, and you're so patiently waiting. But then when you just want them to give you your money, you act like a bank robber. <laughs> amazing, it's amazing. So God has something to say about every aspect of our life. So my point is, there are other areas where they need to come in line with God's will. And God is going to work on that. Hallelujah. It's not like, oh, I'm saved. I'm born again. I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. Okay, 
tick that box, tick that box, tick that box, have a seat and wait for the rapture. No, no, God is working on you. Okay, here's some areas that need to come into agreement with my word. Here's some areas of your life that are not my will. Here's some things you're doing. Here's some things you're saying, and I don't agree with that. And you make a choice. You make a choice to receive that or reject it. But you're wasting your time praying, bless me, bless me, bless me, while rejecting the will of God. You've gone as far as you can go where you are now. If you want to go further, you have to make some changes. I don't say that arrogantly. I said that sincerely. And all of us, it's true of all of us. Hallelujah. Glory to God. So if you want to live the life of victory and abundance, you just can't pick and choose which parts of the Bible you'd like to do. Like you're at a wedding reception, buffet. Would you care for some Okinay? No thanks. She'll have it. Would you like some dessert? Yeah, more please. It doesn't work that way. You have to give yourself completely to the will of God. What most people do is they, they, they have a little filter. Here's the will of God. Well, if it's something I want to do and it's convenient and it suits me, okay, we'll do that. I like singing. I like dancing. I like shouting, so we'll do that. But if it's something we don't like, it doesn't suit us, no thank you. That's the glass ceiling that you cannot pass. You have set that barrier in your own life. Jesus didn't say, do the will of my Father if you like it. He said, do it. Do you think that everything he did was pleasant to his flesh? Do you think on the cross he's there thinking, whoo, those nails are tickling me. No, no, it was, it was not pleasant. It was not pleasant. Do you think it was just wonderful? No, it was shameful to be hanging on that cross. Why did he do it? Because it was the will of God. See, we, we make decisions every day. And we're, 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 like, we're like thinking, well, if I like it, if it's convenient, if it feels good. But we make decisions because it's God's will. It's not convenient. It's not pleasant. I don't like some things about it. That doesn't matter. I said, that's irrelevant. Is it God's will for you? If the answer is yes, then you have your answer. You have your answer. Well, I'm going to get, you know, 15 pastors to pray for you. You just want to delay your destiny. That's what you're doing. You're wasting time. Well, I'm waiting on the Lord. No, you're not. He's waiting on you to obey, to do the will of God. When people think about being in the will of God, they think it's something hard. Oh, it's hard. They look at people who are really miserable and they say, see, that's what the will of God looks like. Sad, bitter, Poor. No, being out of the will of God is hard. When you see someone who's bitter, whose life is in a ruin, that's not someone who's been in the will of God. Are you listening to me? When Jesus appeared to Saul of Tarsus on the road to Damascus, he said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? So again, what we do to others, we do to Christ. 
But then the Lord said this in Acts 26, 14. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. I don't know about you, but to my ears, that's a peculiar statement. I mean, if I was Jesus, that's not what I would have said. But it's, it's really peculiar. But you have to understand that in Paul's day and really throughout history, most people either uh, grew crops or raised cattle. It's an agrarian economy. That's, that's how most people think, right? So um, to move cattle from one field to another, you can't just ask them. You can't say, hey, uh, guys, over here, please. Can, I, can, I, can, we, can, can the cows? Can, they, they, don't, they don't listen to that. So herdsmen use a cattle prod. And, and in the first century AD, that was very, they still do it today, but in the first century AD, it was just a long stick with a sharp point on the end. And they come up and they poke the cow in the hindquarters, in the back leg or something, and it's not pleasant. And the cow moves. So he's prodding, moving those cows. Wow, wow. And that's, that's what Jesus said to Paul. Or at that time, Saul of Tarsus, right? See? So basically, Jesus said to this man, you've been fighting me your whole life. You've been fighting me. I've been trying to lead you in the right direction. I've been trying to move you to my will, to the place where you'd be blessed and you'd be a blessing, but you keep kicking. Every time I prod you, you keep kicking me. Hallelujah. And that's why things are so difficult for you. I think he could have said, and that's why you're so angry. That's why you're so frustrated. That's why you've got murder in your heart because you keep kicking me. You keep resisting me. Let me just say this. It doesn't apply to everybody, but I'm going to say something that applies to some. There are many pleasant and polite Christians who look so sweet, but inwardly, they are rebels. On the outside, they look so sanctified. Got a Bible, you know, whatever, dressed appropriately, whatever, you know, and, you know, know the lingo. Oh, that was a wonderful sermon. Praise the Lord. God bless you. But inside their heart, they are constantly contending with God. And you think God doesn't know it? And you might not, and I said, I'm not saying this is true about everybody. And hopefully it's not everybody. Hopefully it's, it's only a few, but there's some people, to look at them, you would never guess it. But inside, they are seething with anger. Probably the, the people in their home know it, but people in the church don't see it. You know what they're really angry about? They're angry at God. They're kicking. No, leave me alone. I'm going to do it my way. I don't have to listen to you. Stop bugging me. That's hard. It's hard for you. It's hard for you. And some people are like Pharaoh. I mean, in the church, they're like Pharaoh. They harden their heart. They rebel against God. No, I'm going gonna, gonna to do what I want to do. I'm the king here, not you. 
I mean, they may not actually verbalize that. I know they wouldn't say it out loud in most cases, but that's what they feel on the inside. And like Pharaoh, disaster comes. And they say, I repent, I'm wrong, I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm wrong, I'm wrong, I've sinned. And when the calamity passes, they again change their mind and say, no, I'm gonna do it my way. Are you listening to me? Being out of the will of God is the hard thing. And you can waste years of your life. Because God is not going to change his mind. You could be 100 years old, and God's not going to change his mind. Are you listening to me? So the reason some people are experiencing difficulty is because God is goading them. God is goading them. He's trying to push you out of that place. That's not where you should be. That's not what you should be doing. And you're angry that God spoiled your drinking party. You're angry that that illicit affair didn't work out. But you should be thankful. A loving father is pushing you out of that situation. Hallelujah. So this is what I say. All of us in the family of God, Take your plans, your ideas, your ambition, and, 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 and lay them at the altar today. My life is not my own. My purpose in life is to glorify God. That's why I'm here. I didn't tell you to quit your job. I didn't tell you you had to make, necessarily make a career change. I didn't tell you you got to move somewhere. I didn't tell you you have to enroll in Bible college. I, I didn't say any of those things. I'm just telling you this. You have to make the decision. As a Christian, there's some things in my life that are a little bit out, and I'm going to align myself with God's purposes for my life because that's better. Now, you, you, can, you, can dis, you can disagree with me. Inside, you can rise up and, and reject that. That's, that's your choice. But 25 years from now, you'll be in the same place where you are right now, only worse. Trust me, I'm telling you the truth. Hallelujah. So today, I think the point of this message is to submit to God's will for your life. I'm not the Lord. Jesus is your Lord. And if God's dealing with you about something or you see something, and it doesn't have to be some major, major thing. In someone else's eyes, it may be no big deal at all. That, that's, that's, that, that, that doesn't matter. But you know in your heart, I gotta, I gotta make a change here. Is there a price to pay? Yeah. Is it worth it? Yeah. I want you to bow your head with me.